Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. We're continuing today with Huckleberry Finn by Tom Sawyer, and as usual, huge trigger warning for this book. Um, all of the offensive language shall, of course, be um, ducked. Like, I'll just drop the audio down um, so you don't hear it. But um, this book is full of racial slurs because it was written in the 1800s, and the past was terrible. If anyone wants to go back to the past, please reevaluate your life. <laughs> the past was bloody terrible. Um, nowadays isn't great, but it's definitely better than the past. Um, now, before I go on a slight rant about things, um, let's continue with the book. <laughs> um, Thomas found himself in like the care of a very, probably extremely racist. They own slaves. Very racist family. Um, and, um, and yeah. Uh, Jim has gone missing. We don't know where he is. They got separated. And, and yeah. Let's dive in. These intros are getting longer and longer. I'm really sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Chapter 18. Colonel Grangerford was a gentleman, you see. He was a gentleman all over. And so was his family. He was well born, as the saying is, and that's worth as much in a man as it is in a horse, so would have Douglas said. And nobody's ever denied that she was the first aristocracy in our town. And Pap always said it too, though he weren't no more quality than a mudcat himself. Colonel Grangerford was very tall and very slim, and had a darkish poly complexion. Not a sign of red in it anywheres. He was clean-shaved every morning, all over his thin face. And he had the thinnest kind of lips, and the thinnest kind of nostrils, and a high nose, and heavy eyebrows, and the blackest kind of eyes, sunk so deep back that they seemed like they was looking way out of caverns at you, as you might say. His forehead was high, and his hair was black and straight, and hung to his shoulders. His hands was long and thin, and every day of his life he put on a clean shirt, and a full suit from head to foot made out of linen so white it hurt your eyes to look at it. And on Sundays, he wore a blue tailcoat with brass buttons on it. He carried a mahogany cane with a silver head to it. There weren't no frivolishness about him, not a bit, and he weren't ever loud. He was as kind as can be. You could feel that, you know? And so you had confidence. Sometimes he smiled, and it was good to see. But when he straightened himself up like a liberty pole and the lightning began to flicker out from under his eyebrows, he wanted to climb a tree first and find out what the matter was afterward. He didn't ever have to tell anybody to mind their manners. Everybody was always good-mannered where he was. Everybody loved to have him around, too. He was sunshine most always. I mean, he made it seem like good weather. When he turned into a cloud bank, it was awful dark for half a minute. And that was enough. There wouldn't nothing go wrong again for a week. When him and the old lady come down in the morning, all the family got up out of their chairs and give him a good day, and didn't sit down again till they had sat down. Then Tom and Bob went to the sideboard where the decanters was, and mixed a glass of bitters and handed it to him. And he held it in his hand and waited till Tom and Bob's was mixed. And then they bowed and said, Our duty to you, sir and madam. And they bowed their head the least bit in the world and said thank you. And so they drank, all three, 
and Bob and Tom poured a spoonful of water on the sugar and the mite of whiskey or apple brandy in the bottom of their tumblers and give it to me and Buck, and we drank to the old people too. Bob was the oldest, and Tom next. Tall, beautiful men, with broad shoulders and brown faces and long black hair and black eyes. They dressed in white linen from head to foot like the old gentleman and wore broad Panama hats. Then there was Miss Charlotte. She was 25, and tall and proud and grand, but as good as she could be when she weren't stirred up. But when she was, she had that look that would make you well in your tracks, like her father. She was beautiful. So was her sister, Miss Sophia, but it was a different kind. She was gentle and sweet, like a dove, and she was only 20. Each person had their own name to wait on them, Buck, too. My had a monstrous easy time because I weren't used to having anybody do anything for me. But Buck's was on the jump most of the time. This was all there was of the family now, but there used to be more. Three sons, and they got killed, and Emmeline that died. The old gentleman owned a lot of farms, and over a hundred. Sometimes a stack of people would come there, horseback from ten or fifteen miles around, and stay five or six days, and have such junketings roundabout and on the river, and dances and picnics in the woods daytimes, and balls at the house nights. These people was mostly kinfolk of the family. The men brought their guns with them. It was a handsome lot of quality, I tell you. There was another clan of aristocracy around there, five or six families, mostly of the name Shepherdson. They was as high-toned and well-born and rich and grand as the tribe of Grangerfords. The Shepherdsons and the Grangerfords used the same steamboat landing, which was about two mile above our house. So sometimes when I went up there with a lot of our folks, I used to see a lot of the Shepherdsons there on their fine horses. One day, Buck and me was away out in the woods, hunting, and heard a horse coming. It was crossing the road. Buck says, Quick, jump for the woods. We done it, and then peeped down the woods through the leaves. Pretty soon, a splendid young man come galloping down the road, setting his horse easy and looking like a soldier. He had his gun across his pommel. I'd seen him before. It was young Harney Shepherdson. I heard Buck's gun go off at my ear, and Hardy's hat tumbled off his head. He grabbed his gun and rode straight to the place where we was hid, but we didn't wait. We started through the woods on a run. The woods weren't thick, so I looked over my shoulder to dodge the bullet, and twice I seen Harney cover Buck with his gun, and then he rode away the way he come, to get his hat, I reckon, but I couldn't see. We never stopped running till we got home. The old gentleman's eyes blazed a minute. "'Twas pleasure manly, I judged. And then his face sort of smoothed down, and he says, kind of gentle, "'I don't like that shooting from behind a bush. "'Why didn't you step out in the road, my boy?' "'The Shepherdsons don't, father. "'They always take advantage.' Miss Charlotte, she held her head up like a queen while Buck was telling his tale, and her nostrils spread, and her eyes snapped. The two men looked dark, but never said nothing. Miss Affair turned pale, but the color come back when she found the man weren't hurt. Soon as I could get Buck down the corn cribs under the trees by ourselves, I says, Did you want to kill him, Buck? Well, bet I did. What'd he do to you? Him? He... Never done nothing to me. Well, then, what'd you want to kill him for? 
Why, nothing, only it's on account of the feud. What's a feud? Why, where was you raised? Don't you know what a feud is? I never heard of it before. Tell me about it. Well, says Buck, a feud's this way. A man has a quarrel with another man and kills him. And then that other man's brother kills him. And then the brothers on both sides go for one another. And then the cousins chip in and by and by, everybody's killed off and there ain't no more feud. But it's kind of slow. Takes a long time. Has this one been going on... Has this one been going on long, Buck? Well, I should reckon. It started 30 years ago or summers along there. There was trouble about something and then a lawsuit to settle it. And the suit went again one of the men. And so he up and shot the man that won the suit. Which he would naturally do, of course. Anybody would. What was the trouble about, Buck? Land? I reckon maybe. I, I don't know. Well, who done the shooting? Was it Grangerford or Shepherdson? Lost? How do I know? It was so long ago. Don't anybody know? Oh, yes. Pa knows, I reckon. And some of the other old folks. But they don't know now what the row was about in the first place. Has there been many killed, Buck? Yes. Right smart chance of funerals. But they don't always kill. Pa's got a few buckshots in him, but he don't mind it because they don't weigh much. Bob's been carved up with a bowie, and Tom's been hurt once or twice. Has anybody been killed this year, Buck? Yes, we got one, and they got one. About three months ago, my cousin, Bud, 14 years old, was riding through the woods on the side of the river. Didn't have no weapons with him, which was blame foolishness. And in a lonesome place, he hears a horse coming along behind him. And sees old Baldy Shepherdson linking after him with his gun in his hand and his white hair flying in the wind. And instead of jumping off and taking to the brush, Bud Lode, he could outrun him. So they had it, nip and tuck, for five miles or more, and the old man a gaining all the time. So at last, Bud see it weren't no use. So he stopped and faced around so as to have the bullet holes in front, you know. And the old man, he rode up and shot him down. But he didn't get much chance to enjoy his luck, for inside of a week, our folks laid him out. I reckon that old man was a coward, Buck. I reckon he weren't a coward, not by a blame sight. There ain't a coward amongst then, Shepherdson, not a one. And there ain't no coward amongst the Grangerfords either. Why, the old man kept up his end in a fight one day for half an hour against three Grangerfords and come out winner. They was all a horseback. He let off his horse and got behind a little wood pile and kept his horse before him to stop the bullets. But the Grangerfords stayed on their horses and capered round the old man and peppered away at him. And he peppered away at them. Him and his horse went home pretty leaky and crippled, but the Grangerfords they had to be fetched home, and one of them was dead, and another died the next day. No, sir, if a body's out hunting for cowards, he don't want to fool away any time amongst them Shepherdsons, because they don't breed any of that kind. Next Sunday, we all went to church, about three mile, everybody horseback. The men took their guns along, so did Buck, and kept them between their knees, or stood them handy against the wall. The Shepherdsons done the same. It was pretty ornery preaching, all about brotherly love and such like tiresomeness. But everybody said it was a good sermon, and they all talked it over going home, and had such a powerful lot to say about faith and good works and free grace and pre-for or destination. And I don't know what all. That did seem to me one of the roughest Sundays I'd run across yet. About half an hour after dinner, everybody was dozing around, some in chairs and some in their rooms. They got pretty dull. 
Buck and the dog was stretched out on the grass in the sun, sound asleep. I went up to our room and judged I would take a nap myself. I found that sweet Miss Sophia standing in her door, which was next to ours, and she took me into her room and shut the door very soft and asked me if I liked her, and I said I did. And she asked me if I would do something for her and not tell anybody, and I said I would. Then she said she forgot her testament and left it in a seat at church between two other books. And would I slip out quiet and go there and fetch it for her and not say nothing to nobody? I said I would. So I slid out and slipped off up the road. And there weren't anybody in the church, except maybe a hog or two, for there weren't any lock on the door. And hogs like a punching floor in the summertime because it's cool. If you notice, most folks don't go to church only when they got to. But a hog is different. Says I to myself, something's up. It ain't natural for a girl to be in such a sweat about testament. So I give it a shake, and out drops a piece of paper with half past two wrote on it in a pencil. I ransacked it, but I couldn't find anything else. I couldn't make anything out of that, so I put the paper in the book again. And when I got home and upstairs, there was Miss Sophia in her door waiting for me. She pulled me in and shut the door. Then she looked at the testament till she found the paper. And as soon as she read it, she looked glad. And before a body could think, she grabbed me and gave me a squeeze and said I was the best boy in the whole world. And not to tell anybody. She was mighty red in the face for a minute, and her eyes lighted up, and it made her powerful pretty. I was a good deal astonished, but when I had my breath, I asked her what the paper was about. And she asked me if I'd read it, and I said no. And she asked me if I could read writing, and I told her, no, only coarse hand. And then she said the paper weren't anything but a bookmark to keep her place, and I might go and play now. I went off down the river, studying this thing over, and pretty soon I noticed that my was following along behind when we was out of sight of the house, he looked back and around a second, and then comes a running and says, Mars George, if you come down to the swamp, I'll show you a whole stack of water moccasins. Thinks I, that's mighty curious. He said that yesterday. You ought to know a body don't love water moccasins to go around hunting for him. What is he up to anyway? So I says, all right, try ahead. I followed half a mile, and he struck out over a swamp and made it ankle deep as much as another half mile. We come to a little flat piece of land, which was dry and very thick with trees and bushes and vines. And he says, You shove right in there. Just a few steps, Mas George. I seed him before. I don't care to see him no more. Then he slopped right along and went away. And pretty soon the trees hit him. I poked into the place a ways and come into a little open patch as big as a bedroom. All hung around with vines and found a man laying there asleep. And by jings, it was my old Jim. I waked him up. I reckon it was going to be a grand surprise for him to see me again. But it weren't. He nearly cried he was so glad, but he weren't surprised. Said he swum along behind me that night and heard me yell every time. But doesn't answer because he didn't want nobody to pick him up and take him into slavery again. Says he, I got hurt and couldn't swim fast, so I was considerable ways behind you towards the less. When you landed, I reckon I could catch up with you on the land, without having to shout at you. But when I see that house, I began to go slow. I was off too far to hear what they say to you. I was afraid of dogs. But when it was all quiet again, I knowed you was in the house, so I struck out for the woods to wait for day. Early in the morning, some of the n****s come along, grinding the fields, and they took me and showed me this place where the dogs can't track me on account of the water, and brings me truck to eat every night, and tells me how you're getting along. 
Why didn't you tell my Jack to fetch me here sooner, Jim? Well, twa'n't no use to disturb you, Huck, till we could do something. But we's all right now. I've been buying pots and pans and vittles and got a chance to patching up the raft nights when... What raft, Jim? You mean to say our old raft weren't smashed up to Flinders? No, she weren't. She was tore up a good deal. One end of her was, but it wasn't no great harm done. Only our traps most all lost. If we hadn't dived so deep and swum so far under the water, and the night hadn't been so dark, and we weren't so scared, and been sitch pumpkin heads as the saying is, we'd see the raft. But it's just as well we didn't, because now she's all fixed up again, most good as new. And we got a new lot of stuff, too, in the place of what was lost. Why, how did you get a hold of the raft again, Jim? Did you catch her? How I gwine to catch her, and I had in the woods? No, some of the found her, catch upon a snag along here at the bend, and they hid her in the creek amongst the willows, and they was so much joying about which of them she belonged to the most that I come to hear about pretty soon. So ups and settles the trouble by telling them that she don't belong to none of them, but to you and me. And I asked them if they go out and grab a young white gentleman's property and get hiding for it. Then I give them ten cents apiece, and they's a mighty well satisfied. I wish some more rafts had come along to make them rich again. They's mighty good to me, these is, and whatever I wants them to do for me, I don't have to ask them twice, honey. That Jack's a good and pretty smart. Yes, he is. He ain't never told me he was here. He told me to come, and he'd show me a lot of water moccasin. If anything happens, he ain't mixed up in it. He can say he never seen us together, and it'll be the truth. I don't much want to talk about the next day. I reckon I'll cut it pretty short. I waked up about dawn. I was going to turn over and go to sleep again, but I noticed how still it was. There didn't seem to be anybody stirring. That weren't usual. Next, I noticed that Buck was up and gone. Well, I gets up, a-wondering, and goes downstairs. Nobody around. Everything still as a mouse. Just the same outsides. Things I, what does it mean? Down by the woodpile, I comes across my jack and says, What's it all about? Says he, don't you know Moss George? No, says I, I don't. Well, then, Miss Sophia's run off. Did she has. She run off in the night sometime. Nobody knows just when. Run off to get married to that young Harney Shepherdson, you know. Leastways, so they spec. The family found it out about half an hour ago, maybe a little more. And I tell you, they want no time lost. Sitch another, hurrying up guns and horses you never see. The women folks has gone to disturb the relations, and old Ma Saul and the boys took their guns and rode up the river road for to try and catch that young man and kill him before he can get across the river with Miss Sophia. I reckon there's going to be mighty rough times. Buck went off without waking me? Well, I reckon he did. They weren't going to mix you up in it. Ma's Buck loaded up his gun and loaded he's going to fetch home a Shepherdson or bus. Well, there's going to be plenty of them there, I reckon. You can bet he'll fetch one if he gets a chance. I took up the river road as hard as I could put. By and by, I began to hear guns a good ways off. When I come inside of the log store in the woodpile where the steamboat lands, I worked along under the trees and brush till I got to a good place. And then I clung up under the forks of cottonwood that was out of reach and watched. There was a wood rank four foot high a little ways in front of the tree. At first, I was going to hide behind that, but maybe it was luckier I didn't. 
there was four or five men cavorting around on their horses in the open place before the lock store, cussing and yelling, and trying to get a couple of young chaps that was behind the wood rank alongside the steamboat landing. But they couldn't come it. Every time one of them showed himself on the river side of the wood pile, he got shot at. The two boys were squatting back to back behind the pile so they could watch both ways. By and by, the men stopped cavorting and yelling. They started riding towards the store. Then, up gets one of the boys, draws a steady bead over the wood rank, and drops one of them out of his saddle. All the men jumped off their horses and grabbed the hurt one and started to carry him to the store. And that minute, the two boys started on the run. They got halfway to the tree I was in before the men noticed. Then the men see him and jumped on their horses and took after them. They gained on the boys, but it didn't do no good. The boys had a good start. They got to the wood pile that was in front of my tree and slipped behind it, so they had the bulge on the men again. One of the boys was Buck, and the other was a slim young chap about 19 years old. The men ripped around a while, then rode away. As soon as they was out of sight, I sung out to Buck and told him. He didn't know what to make of my voice coming out of the tree at first. He was awful surprised. He told me to watch out sharp and to let him know when the men came inside again. Said they was up to some devilment or other, wouldn't be gone long. I wished I was out of that tree, but my desk not come down. Buck begun to cry and rip and load that him and his cousin Joe, that was the other young chap, would make up for this day yet. He said that his father and two of his brothers were killed and two or three of the enemy. Said the Shepherdsons laid for them in ambush. Buck said his father and brothers ought to waited for their relations. The Shepherdsons was too strong for him. I asked him what had become of young Harney and Miss Sophia. He said they got across the river and was safe. I was glad of that. But the way Buck did take on because he didn't kill Harney that day he shot at him, I ain't never heard anything like it. All of a sudden, bang, 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 goes three or four guns. The men had slipped around the woods and come in from behind without their horses. The boys jumped for the river, both of them hurt, and as they swam down the current, the men run along the bank, shouting at them and singing, Kill him! Kill him! It made me so sick I almost fell out of the tree. I ain't gonna tell all that happened. It made me feel sick again if I was to do that. I wished I hadn't ever come ashore that night to see such things. I ain't ever gonna get shut of them. Lots of times I dream about them. I stayed in that tree till it begun to get dark, afraid to come down. Sometimes I heard guns away off in the woods. And twice I seen little gangs of men gallop past the lock store with guns, so I reckon the trouble was still going on. I was mighty downhearted, so I made up my mind I wouldn't ever go near that house again, because I reckon I was to blame. Somehow. I judged that piece of paper meant that Miss Sophia was to meet Harney somewhere at half past two and run off, and I judged I'd have told her father about that paper and the curious way she acted and then maybe it would have locked her up and this awful mess wouldn't ever happen. When I got out of the tree, I crept along down the riverbank a piece and found two bodies laying in the edge of the water and tugged at them till I got them ashore. And then I covered their faces and got away as quick as I could. I cried a little when I was covering up Buck's face. It was just dark now. I never went near the house, but struck through the woods and made for a swamp. Jim weren't on his island, so I tramped off in a hurry for the creek and crowded through the willows, red hot to jump aboard and get out of that awful country. The raft was gone. 
My soul's but I was scared. I couldn't get my breath for most a minute. Then I raised a yell. A voice not 25 foot from me says, Goodly, is that you, honey? Don't make a noise. It was Jim's voice. Nothing ever sounded so good before. I run along the land a piece and got aboard. And Jim, he grabbed me and hugged me. He was so glad to see me. He says, Lord bless you, child. I was right down show you dead again. Jack's been here. Says he reckon you've been shot because you didn't come home no more. So I was just this minute starting for the raft down towards the Maffer Creek so to be ready to shove out and leave as soon as Jack comes again to tell me for certain you was dead. Lost it. I was mighty glad to get you back again, honey. I says, All right, that's mighty good. They won't find me. They'll think I've been killed and float down the river. There's something up there that'll help them think so, so don't lose no time, Jim, but just shove off for the big water as fast as you can. I never felt easy till the raft was two miles below there and out of the middle of the Mississippi. Then we hung our signal lantern and judged that we was free and safe once more. I hadn't had a bit to eat since yesterday, so Jim got out some of the corn dodgers and buttermilk and pork and cabbage and greens. There ain't nothing in the world so good when it's cooked right. And whilst I eat my supper, we talked and had a good time. I was powerful glad to get away from the feuds. So was Jim to get away from the swamp. We said there weren't no home like a raft after all. Other places do seem so cramped up and smothery. But a raft don't. You feel mighty free and easy and comfortable on a raft. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe because there's more to come. Uh, I had to record the second half of that chapter again, because uh, my memory card on my camera got full. Um, so, yeah. If <laughs> if I sounded slightly frustrated at all at the moment, uh, not while reading the book, because I try to separate that, but if I feel a bit at the moment, it's because it's, that was very frustrating. Um, yeah. I'm glad that they're back together, but my god, Huck is going to have some serious PTSD. I mean, he already said he's got PTSD. He dreams about what he saw, but my word. He's only like 14. This man. Again, like I said at the very start of this chapter, maybe last chapter, the past was the worst. You just experienced awful things all of the time and were expected to just go on. My word. Okay. They're back on the raft. All we need to do now is keep our fingers crossed and hope that they get to Cairo so that Jim can be free. That is all I care about. I just want Jim to be free. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you very, very shortly with another chapter. Bye-bye.